This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with a zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute, and available reclining lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Pluralsight. Your org needs teams skilled in tomorrow's tech today. Whether you want faster innovation, better customer experiences, or streamlined software delivery, those solutions require teams skilled and savvy in the latest technologies. Equip your people with the skills they need to make the most of today's tools and tech. Visit Pluralsight.com pod and try it for free. <laughs> okay, good start. Good start. <laughs> Ow. That was really good. Except for my cough start. That was that was the that was a messy one, but we are in. We're in here. We're at episode 24, 25. Are we? I thought the last episode was 21. No one knows. No one, no one knows. We're at episode 36. Welcome. Welcome. I'm Stephen Campbell. And I'm Frankie French. And this is Profits Non. Nonprofits. This is exactly what I said. Um, I appreciate everybody tuning in. We got, we got a, we got a nice little group of people. Feel free to just chatted us in the in the twitch thing um we are having this podcast every week every tuesday make sure you like it make sure you share it check it on spotify do all the things i always forget to do that part at the end so now we just do it up top that's genius because i never remember to do it ever at all yeah we're on spotify and apple all of the streaming stuff so go there and just subscribe to it so that we can look cool yes don't even listen just just like it tell somebody else to watch it tell them they don't have to listen to it but then have them share it as well yeah get us going so how was your week steven my week was wild we we went out into the wilderness a little bit got that's right got a house upstate um it was so nice to take us take a break away from all the honking and all the siren and just sit out in nature for a minute um yeah what about you what do you got going on right now uh this week what did i do uh my week was pretty bland nice. i'm excited for next week because i finally get fully vaxxed nice and then yes. you, you've got your first uh comedy festival huh oh yeah that's right that is something that's happening i have my first comedy festival since covid not like ever in life but right. since covid and where um, can, where can people in the country check you out yeah, if you're in Arizona, well, I'll I'll put if you follow me on, on uh, Instagram, Frankie, Fr- just at Frankie French. Not right now, it's not, but after the show, I'll go in there and put the link for um, tickets in my bio, uh, and then you can click there. But um, I'm on the Friday show, so it's a comp. I didn't realize this, but it's a competition show. Oh, 
Yeah. So that is, and there's a thousand dollars on the line and I'm going there to win. Okay. You hear me? Arizona, if that is your name, I am coming in you to win. Well, that doesn't sound, that sounded aggressive and very non-consensual. Huh? Certainly Arizona. It is, it is definitely named Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) But that sounded very non-consensual. I am coming in you and I'm going to, that didn't, that's not, I'm coming in you and I'm going to win. That's not okay. Take two. Arizona is its name and you are coming wherever it says you are able to. I'm (laughs) going. Yeah. Um, so yes. So I'll be in Arizona. My show. I'll be there actually tomorrow. I'm leaving. So I'll be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'll come back Sunday. My show is Friday. If I pass through, the semifinals are Friday night. If I pass through again, the finals are Saturday. So I'm going to say confidently, I'll be performing Friday twice, once on Saturday, and taking home the money. Uh, uh. Um, we're talking dirt today huh yeah we're talking well we're talking soil degradation which is something that let's talk about dirt baby let's talk about you and me Um, let's talk about minerals that live in the soil so we eat let's talk about (laughs) okay all right um we got we got mary from the sierra club in the house we do Um, very big organization the oldest um it the oldest president uh what is the name of it they they're the oldest environmental organization in the united states so Mm -hmm. they were responsible for a lot of national parks i i I believe right mary if you want to give me a nod that's that's correct right um you guys can't see but our guest is backstage and we can see her so she's nodding yes at us she's giving me some nods um yeah we're talking about soil degradation um, so I actually started a company right out of my, so I got an MBA and with a concentration on social enterprise and the research focus was on agricultural systems. And so right out of college, I started a company where we were selling technology that was positioned to improve the agricultural supply chain. Did now, it? Now I'm telling dick jokes, but, um, Perfect. but so actually, so wild story. So I went to South Africa to finish up my MBA. And while I was there, I spoke to the daughter of the CEO of the biggest grocery retailer in all of Southern Africa. And Mm -hmm. she was talking about how she wanted to do all this environmental stuff. And so um, I just started shooting my shot and I was like, yo, I just started this company. I'm working with this company that they sell anaerobic digesters, which is basically you put food in or organic waste outcomes like healthy soil, right? That's the abridged version. So it's like, plant poop it's yeah no that's that's an even more abridged version i was selling plant poop and that should have been the name of the company that would have taken off plant poop oh my god i'm into it yes what is that i want it if goop can sell then plant poop can plant poop could kill yeah (laughs) um so i go to south africa and i'm like yo let's do some business so i was talking to them about changing the whole uh waste disposal infrastructure of, of south africa so basically, we put these anaerobic digesters near the townships, which don't have electricity. And that's an issue because you don't have electricity, you don't have lights, like sexual abuse goes way up when there's no lights. There's all sorts of like assault issues and stuff like what? that. Yeah, well, because it's dark, right? No, oh, you don't yeah. have the cover of, of light, right? And so yeah, but the lights go off and I'm not, I'm, 
that's just weird. Like, oh, the lights are off. I'm going to go rape. Like, that's so bizarre. <laughs> I Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, crime goes up when you can be, when you can't be seen. Is right? that, that's probably why I'm afraid of the dark. I'm like, oh, someone's going to come and crime me. Someone's going to crime me. I, um, but so I, I go to this, to this lady and I was like, yo, what if we did this thing? And she's like, yes, go talk to the head of sustainability. And I was like, word. And so I talked to the head of sustainability. He's like, I like what you're doing. You should talk to this guy that owns the biggest vermicompost farm in the world. And so vermicompost is essentially you take that plant poop and you put worms in it. And so like worms go through it, digest it, make it like hyper uh, healthy soil. So now we're talking worm waste. We're talking worm waste, plant poop, merged. Got it. Okay. To make one super poop. So plant worm poop paste. I mean, plant worm poop waste. Got it. Okay. You're getting it. It's so easy. (laughs) So I go and I was like, I was talking to all these people and like, we were in these like bougie ass, like it's like a huge grocery retailer uh, headquarters. So I'm, I'm, I got my laptop with me. I'm rocking like pretty good, like business clothes. And he's like, yo, you should go check this guy. And I was on a roll. I was doing so good. And I was just like, yeah, of course, let's do it. Set up a meeting. I'll be there in two hours. And so they give me the address and I send it to my friend who lives in Cape Town. And I was just like, yo, just want to check. In Cape Town. Oh, no, that's Trenchtown. Never mind. Sorry. Wrong song. Go ahead. <laughs> but Cape Town's the murder capital of the world, right? Heard about that. Yeah. And so they, uh, they're like, yeah, just go to the spot. And so I In Cape Town? In Cape Town. And I was <laughs> like, Oof. and so I send my friend the address. And I was like, yo, I'm going to head over there. Just want to check, like, this is a good neighborhood. And she's like, oh, no, they're setting you up to get murdered. It's Yo, she sent me all caps, never fucking go there. Like, just that's all it says. And so now I'm like, I've told these guys I'm going to make it for a meeting. And so I'm tripping and I'm like, okay, well, this is like a big business opportunity. Like, maybe I should still go. And so I finally called a guy and I was like, yo, my friend said that I shouldn't go there. I've got my laptop. I'm dressed kind of nice. And he started laughing as soon as I say, I've got my laptop. He's like, you were going to bring your laptop? Are you stupid? <laughs> He's like, never. No, absolutely not. So I, 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 I scheduled the thing for the next day. And I, I called the Uber. And I'm dressed in like just regular clothes, like hoodie, jeans, whatever. And I hop in the Uber. And you know how the address changes? He yeah. Back and he's just like, yo, my friend, you put the wrong address in. And I was like, no, 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 this is... This is the address. And he's just like, no, you don't understand. You should never go to this address. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, people that look like you get murdered when they go to this address. And I was like, okay, but that's really where I need to go. He's like, I'm not going to go. So I ended up having to give the dude 300 rand, which is only like 27 bucks. And I was just like, please take me. And I had to give him another 300 just to stay and like, give me a ride back. But like, what? Yeah, we took this like, because there's no Ubers in it. Yo, like this area post-apocalyptic doesn't begin to do it justice. It's like tin shacks. People are like cooking on wrought iron fences. Like, oh, so they would definitely kill you and sell you for parts. Like that's yeah, like yeah, not yeah. even that's real life. Like, oh yeah, fuck this guy. No, we're murdering him immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I go there and like the driver is going 80 down like the street like the residential area just trying to get through to where you need to go so we can get out right no no stoplights he won't like he won't stop at any of the stoplights 
And like, at one point I take out my phone cause I'm like, I gotta see where I'm at. Like, is this guy gonna murder me? And he sees I took out my phone and he's like, put that away, put that away. Oh my God, you can't have your phone out. And so now I'm like, I'm pouring sweat. Like I'm just so- I'm, No, oh my God, please, what happened? I'm dying. I get there and it's just like, it's this farm, like, but they had carved out this area that has watchtowers all around it because it's like, they were doing experimental work on soil. Like they were trying to replace artificial fertilizers, which I'm sure we'll talk with Mary a little bit in a, in a second, but it was all to like improve soil in a in a sustainable way so like they employed some of the people in the area um but then then the guy had to wait within the guard gates and then again we just took off afterwards but they were doing some cool work it was just uh so wait a minute no 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 you're going that's all cool we can talk about the work they were doing in just a second so did you see anyone get murdered while you were there nah but it's it's rough what did it look like it's like like post-apocalyptic plus some like it's kids are why would they have their like lab there um partially job creation partially because it's the cheapest place to do it Um, (laughs) free yeah no you can have that building (laughs) no, no i mean they don't have buildings like everything's tin shack like it's there's no there's no buildings um but they take because it south africa i don't know how well versed you are in like apartheid and stuff like that but but South Africa has got a rough history, but when, yeah. when apartheid was like really going down, they put like all, all the black people in the area in a, like, it's called Mitchell's flat. And it's, it's just a very, very rough area. And so it's the murder capital of the murder capital of the world. Um, but it was, it was not because black people live there. Let's just be clear. That's not sure. it's because like, all the black people moved here and it's the murder capital. This that sentence sounded these horrific. Are two, these are two disjointed things. It's just that it's the most intense poverty. They never yeah. put any sort of economic investment into it. So this is like one of the first like things that they were trying to put together as a project. But again, since everybody is so destitute, like there's just a lot of theft. So they have like guard towers and stuff like that. Oh, and so they had like armed armed guards. Yeah, to guard a farm. To, to, it was, it That's banana. Did it look like one of those movie scenes? You know how you see like the dudes in like the camo pants and then the, the net shirts? You know what I mean? With the cool like little beanie hats and then they have the rifles. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Not, they have like the mesh. Not in that exact outfit, but those dudes were there some with similar outfits i'm yeah. sure the outfits were very similar to that yeah, exactly. wow yeah, what kind yeah. of stuff were they huh it, it, they were what kind of stuff what were they doing in there so they were just experimenting on different types of soil right because wow. and some of the stuff that we'll talk with mary about is like this is like soil degradation is probably if not the, if not one of the most dire like environmental issues it's the one that we is least talked about because mm-hmm. without soil you cannot grow food yeah i was gonna say it sounds pretty dire because we don't have soil that's pretty problematic yeah. like that doesn't sound good and we are destroying it um, we are why <laughs> we'll, get, we'll talk to mary about it a little bit well i need to tell my soil degradation story it was some soil d so i was in sixth grade and um i should preface this by saying I've been a big, huge nerd my whole life. Like, I, I didn't have friends in, in elementary school. 
Um, and so, but I had my, um, <laughs> my research into Native American culture. <laughs> Seriously, I studied hieroglyphics in sixth grade for like, from like sixth grade to like ninth grade, just independently because I loved it so much anyway. To the point that you could read it? I don't want to talk about it. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I understood the ones that I could read. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, so I was after, it was after school and there were these two older boys from like, probably like intermediate school or high school maybe. And they were so dreamy. So I'm like, okay, I have to get their attention because if I do something really cool, then they'll be like, oh, wow, she's cool. Definitely someone we should hang out with. That's how that works, right? So again, I'm like 11 or 12 years old. So I'm like, I know. I'm going to climb up on the monkey bars and I'm going to do a death drop. If you don't know what a death drop is, it's when you sit on the bar and you just let yourself fall backwards, but you're supposed to swing up and then land on your feet. You guys can picture the visual? Sure. Like your your feet hook onto the thing and then you flip over and land. You get it? Uh-huh. Okay, so um, I, I climb up there. I'm, I'm sitting up there. I look over. They're watching. I'm like, okay, step one. Now for step two and perfect execution. And so I fall backwards. I flip up. And right before my feet land, I smack my face <laughs> <laughs> into the soil, which degraded my face. <laughs> <laughs> and when I woke up from being unconscious, <laughs> one of the guys was helping me. The other was laughing hysterically. So that's my soil degradation story. <laughs> so yeah, major problem. What'd you say? You were degraded by soil. I was. It was. It was so. And, and then I woke up, and then like the one guy's helping me. The other one's like dying laughing. And then he comes over. And it's like once he sees me waking up, and they're trying to help me up. And they're like being all nice, and I was mortified. I'm like bleeding from the face. I have gravel and dirt like all in my mouth and teeth. And I, it was so embarrassing. And I remember, thank God, I didn't like break my teeth off or anything. But I remember just um getting on my my uh blue huffy bike and oh. just cycling home no it was an omni bike that's right it was an omni and uh i just i remember cycling home and crying <laughs> not even because i was in pain just because i was like damn it i oh i came this close to getting a boyfriend if hey. i had only stuck the landing none of that was true yeah <laughs> like they were watching and they're like I think I'm going to date that girl. <laughs> and you slammed your face. And they're like, I don't, ne- never mind. No, she's no, uncoordinated. No. And you know, <laughs> the one thing we want in a lady is high levels of coordination. Like that's <laughs> number one. <laughs> and low levels of gravel in her. <laughs> right. <laughs> First of all, you have too much gravel in your mouth and no coordination. Top two <laughs> things I'm looking for in a lady. <laughs> get on your bike and get out of here. Well, I know a young lady that also does not have gravel in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause and nonprofits welcome for Mary Chambers. Yes. Hi, it's really nice to be here. And I do not have any gravel in my teeth. And I can tell you about lots of great things that soil can do for you other than smacking into your face. (laughs) So so Mary, um, to kick it off, we'd love to hear about you. Who are you? How did you get linked up to Sierra Club and what kind of work do you do with them? 
Yeah, so I'm Mary. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm a volunteer with Sierra Club. I chair the California State Sustainable Agriculture Committee. So, oh wow, um, we do things like uh, informing people about the benefits of regenerative agriculture, outreach um, through presentations, and going on um, things like like this event. Um, we also try to give input into policy um, when there's an opportunity for that, and just stay updated on the latest developments with regenerative agriculture. Okay. And then so for, for people that are listening, what does the Sierra Club do? So the Sierra Club is an environmental organization and they have a pretty broad reach of the issues that we're interested in, but overall just aiming to protect um, nature in the United States and to increase the access that people have um, again, through things like policy advocacy, through awareness campaigns, and also through opportunities um, to help people join, like organized backpacking trips to get out into the wilderness. I have a quick question. So for those of um, the people out there watching, I know exactly what it means, but I want you, I, I'm not going to explain it because you know, I don't want to like talk over people's heads. So if you could explain what regenerative agriculture is, I'm thinking like something along the veins of like Wolverine, Right. Where he's like, he gets shot up and then he's like, he regenerates. So I'm thinking like damaged soil and then fixing it to make it better. Is that right? Or yes. Claws come out of the soil. Um, (laughs) No. So regenerative agriculture, you've got the basic idea. It's basically a system of agriculture that's designed to repair the ecosystem and especially to repair the soil. So kind of to put Mm -hmm. more into the system than you're taking out. And Unlike organic agriculture, there is no government uh, regulated definition of regenerative. It can be pretty broad, but the basic idea is that it incorporates certain techniques um, that are designed to minimize the damage to the soil. So things like not turning the soil over all the time, um, growing a diversity of crops so you're not just taking the same thing out of the soil over and over again, um, and that kind of technique. I never even thought about that. That's very wise because different plants need different minerals and vitamins and nutrients, right? Yeah. And different plants are susceptible to different kinds of diseases. So if mm-hmm. you grow the same plant year after year, um, you know, you shouldn't grow tomatoes in the same place year after year, for example, they're more likely to get disease and then you have to use all those synthetic chemicals. Oh, wow. So if, even if you, <clears throat> sorry, even if you, cause at some point I would like to, and I'm being selfish, I think right now, but also helpful to the environment because I'm going to minimize my waste by doing this, but I want to start my own garden and basically just eat from there. So when I do that, I have to, I'm supposed to move the vegetables around like every year. This is something that's applicable to the home garden scale or to the farm scale. And the idea is is when you do it on a large scale, it's called crop rotation. Mm. So growing um, different things in the soil, um, subsequently means that you're you're not putting as much uh, strain on the nutrients and you're um, not building up as many diseases in the soil that is so and i didn't really even realize this was going to be so interesting i'm like fascinated yeah that's amazing there's um there is and and mary you can probably fill in the gaps of the story that but if if you look at like um banana uh production for instance frankie there's a whole swath of Central and Northern South America where we created what you call a monoculture, monoculture being one type of plant. And so what Mary's talking about with disease, right, is um, 
we used to produce all the bananas that the United States ate and like, like I correct me if I'm wrong, most of the world ate was produced in that area, but we produced just one type of banana because it was the easiest to produce. And so what Mary's talking about with disease, there was a fungus that infected one banana and then it took over the whole swath of Central and South America. So then bananas just were non-existent. And so currently we are dealing with that same issue to the point that we may not have bananas in a not, in a not too distant future. And okay, excuse me. Who do I need to talk to about getting my organic bananas? That's not. I can't. We're not going to do this. Um, you have to talk to Mary about that. Mary, what do we need to do to fix this banana emergency? And you guys might think I'm kidding, but not even a little bit. That's like I'm a jam. So what? Do, how do we fix that? So I'm not a banana expert, but I can talk about how what we can do about monoculture in general. Yes. Um, and I mean, beyond just bananas, we really see this with a lot of crops in the United States um, and in, the, in several different places around the world, where, for example, we're really just growing a few varieties of tomatoes across the U.S. We're just growing a few varieties of apples. There's hundreds of varieties of tomatoes we could be growing, uh, hundreds of varieties of apples. Um, but when we just focus on a few, when something like this fungus happens, when climate change happens, different varieties have different susceptibilities to these kind of stressors. So if mm-hmm. we focus on one, we put ourselves at risk of uh, really big challenges to food security when these unexpected things happen. So again, not a banana expert, but if you want to assure yourself of a banana supply, I would recommend trying um, to find like several different varieties of, of banana uh-huh. to grow, probably in a greenhouse because I don't think bananas typically grow in uh, D.C., <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I don't. I don't think so. But yeah, I definitely want to grow my own veggies and my own fruits at some point. Um, Kalise does that. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the musician Kalise. Oh yeah. Yeah, she has a whole freaking farm. It's so amazing, and she's just self-sustained. Like she only eats from her land, and that's like that's what I want to do. Like ultimately. Yeah. That's really cool. It's yeah, amazing. I about it. Yeah, it's so amazing. So. Uh, Mary, can you talk a little bit about when when we do have a monoculture, right? When we do have, we're growing one type of crop. One of the issues is that crop keeps on taking the exact same nutrients from that soil, right? And so when that soil is out of that specific nutrient, we start putting on tons and tons of artificial fertilizer. Can you talk a little bit about why that's an issue and what sort of food security issues we can see with that and what sort of environmental issues we can see with that? Yeah, so there's a lot of issues with using so much synthetic fertilizer. I mean, we use tremendous amounts of synthetic fertilizer, generally, um, primarily like synthetic nitrogen, which is a really important nutrient for plant growth. But when we just add this synthetic fertilizer, it's just like a powder um, of straight nutrients like nitrogen. And part of the problem there is we're not really adding anything else to the soil. So organic agriculture would add nutrients in the form of like compost or mulch um, or a cover crop. And that's adding, in addition to those nutrients, lots of other good things like organic matter that's going to feed the life in the soil. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, we have to eat like a lot of fiber to keep the microbiology in our bodies happy. We need to add all these um, organic material to the soil to keep the uh, biology in the soil happy. When we add synthetic fertilizer, we're not really um, adding that organic matter. 
And when we add too much synthetic fertilizer, it's really likely to not be taken up by the crops, but just to run off into nearby water um, where yeah. it's going to really throw off the balance of life there and sometimes just kill everything basically, uh, which is bad. And then um, that nitrogen also, when you add too much at one time, it gets exposed to the oxygen in the air and it oxidizes into nitrous oxide, uh, which is not just laughing gas, but it's also a really powerful greenhouse gas, um, much worse than carbon dioxide. So excessive use of that nitrogen um, fertilizer is really uh, problematic and it's a big, a big issue. And even the creation of that nitrogen fertilizer is super energy intensive. And a lot of our energy in the U.S. is still um, made using coal and other fossil fuels. So it's like a, a multiple, multiple edged sword of uh, badness when you add too much of a synthetic fertilizer. Like a ninja star. It's yes, a- <laughs> like, like a ninja star of environmental damage. Sure. So why is that le- why is that legal? I don't understand how you know what I mean if it's so because it sounds like a no-brainer like oh that's bad let's not do that. So I think a lot of the times um there isn't a lot of support for farmers to transition to practices that we now know are better. Of course mm-hmm. we haven't always known that synthetic nitrogen fertilizer had this effect on the climate. Right. We haven't always known that burning coal had this kind of effect on the climate. So Um, I don't think we can really blame farmers for sticking with the practices that they're used to, especially when there's really not a lot of support for farmers yet to change to practices that we now know are better for the long term. Um, There's a lot of existing government support set up, a lot of infrastructure set up, and just a lot of habits set up that keeps farmers using this synthetic fertilizer. And There's also a lot of pressure for farmers to get the maximum yields that they possibly can because the government support, the purchasing support is all set up for to encourage farmers to maximize their yield, even when maximizing their yield isn't the most profitable thing for them because they have to buy so much of the synthetic inputs. So, you know, there should be a lot more support for for farmers to transition away from this. And I don't think we can really blame them for sticking with what they do when there's so much inertia behind that. Yeah, no, no, no shame or blame to the farmers, like zero percent. My question was really just kind of generally as a society. Why don't we in America? Why do we use that? Like, why don't we just do away with it and start transitioning just as a country to a more organic way of cultivating soil and and growing food? It makes sense. I don't want chemicals in my body. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to eat something and, and put chemical. I don't, you know, and I can't think of anyone I've ever talked to and say, hey, you want to put chemicals in your body that are <laughs> that could cause cancer and be very damaging to everything around you? You know what I mean? When you say it that way, it's, it's very clear, like, no, we shouldn't do that. So, yeah, right. no ding on the farmers at all. People work with what they know and what they have access to. You know what right. I mean? But we as a country, I feel like we're so greedy and we look more at the bottom line and in in short-term gains instead of the long-term. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I, you know, this is, I think a great time to mention something that I always try to think about when I'm thinking about the food system, which is I, I hear a lot of people saying that the food system is broken and we need to fix it. Um, but someone said something really insightful to me And that was like, the food system isn't actually broken. It's working exactly as it was intended to work. And it's intended to work for the benefit of a few big corporations. Right. And those corporations, their main objective is for like the price of corn to be as low as it possibly can. 
Um, and those corporations have a lot of influence on policy. They have a lot of influence yeah. on, you know, what products and what information is available to farmers and to the public. So I think the more people who know about regenerative agriculture, who know about how um, our current system of farming is not ideal for our ongoing survival, um, the more people who know about that, the more people are going to demand better grown food. And that's going to make it easier for farmers to transition toward those practices when they know they're going to have a, a demand for what they're growing. Right, yeah. right. I think it's also important to know on the other side, right? Because I think there's there's Archer Daniels Midland, Monsanto, and Cargill, right? And so those companies, pretty much, Frankie, whenever there is a social issue that is so glaringly wrong, a health issue, an environmental issue that is so glaringly wrong from anybody that gets the, like, the initial information, the answer why is this allowed to continue is somebody is dumping fuck tons of money into lobbying and into policy, right? Right, like, which the, I, right, which is the problem. Like our government is ran by corporations, not by the people. Right. You know yeah, what I mean, I mean like it's, it's yeah, it's, it's uh, corporations that um, that Stephen was mentioning that have a huge, huge influence in policy, and they've kind of got the farmers in the advice, um because they're selling the well or that um, they're, <laughs> they're selling the farmers the inputs, and then these same companies are buying the farmers' outputs. So they set all the prices. They have you know, they have this whole system set up and it's, it's hard to transition away from that when that's like the entire infrastructure that surrounds you. And they have such a huge impact on policy. And I think the way to combat that is just for more people to know what's going on so that they know, um, they know what's, what's happening and can try to give their own input into policy. And make informed choices when we buy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mary, when, I have seen different figures on how dire of an issue this is, but when we're talking soil degradation, um, the term arable land, meaning land that you can grow uh, crops on, right? Um, Do you have any figures in your head of like how quickly arable land is diminishing? Like how quickly the area that we could grow food on is becoming barren and not able to grow food on yeah i mean i think estimates really vary and of course it's really different um by region i i will say one thing that i see cited a lot um is the the idea that if we keep degrading the soil at the same rate we're going we could lose the topsoil like the nutritious plant happy part of the soil within like 60 years um which is a a chilling thought um and you know I, I think whatever number you put on it, the message is the same, which is that we really can't afford to keep going in the same direction that we're going. Um, and I, I think that awareness is starting to starting to become more broadly accepted um, globally. And I just I just hope we can get that awareness out there fast enough. So w- w- could we turn the tides if the lion's share of consumers, meaning just regular human Americans walking around the earth, right? Uh, are if we like so like because like now I think people are more health conscious, right? And so people are everyone, even my daughter's like, is that organic? You know what I mean? People are more concerned with what they're putting into their bodies. As that changes and grows, will that force these companies to have to appease the masses? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, will that totally. force the shift? 
Yeah. And I think, you know, it really depends on like how much of a shift, like how deep that awareness is within consumers. Um, I had a a while ago, I gave a similar uh, presentation about uh, regenerative agriculture to a, to a small group. And one of the people there had actually done a lot of consulting for big corporations, um, including some of those uh, corporations that Stephen mentioned. And he shared his perspective with me, which was that those companies will follow the money. And what that means is they're going to follow consumer demand. So if there is really clearly demonstrated consumer demand for anything, those companies will try to meet that demand. And of course, they're going to try to meet that demand in the cheapest way possible that demands, you know, the least effort and change from them. So um, equipping consumers with a, a deep level of awareness is going to hold those companies eventually to a higher bar of changing their practices. So I really do think that changing um, consumer perception of what standard they want to hold their food to is really helpful. But I also don't think it's enough because we can't really expect, um, you know, every single person who may be struggling with their budget or who may not have time to learn about these issues um, to, to be putting in all the effort to change these things. So I think that those people who, who do have the opportunity to become aware of this need to go beyond just changing their purchasing habits although that's great, but they need to be also doing like policy advocacy. They need to be sharing their awareness with as many people as they can. They need to try to make their own voice really loud because, you know, not, not every individual has the means to always make the choices of purchasing they might like to make. Which is unfortunate because, you know, when when you're eating right, your health improves which prevents, you know, lets you live longer, which, you know, makes you can go to work more, you know what I mean? And and live a a better quality of life. So if changing the tide of how we eat on a larger scale, isn't the fix and then trying to affect policy is, then this seems just very cyclical as I'm thinking about it because organic food, it's so expensive to eat. So people that are in a lower economic situation typically don't eat organic, you know, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I'm just bananas. That's kind of the policy side of things, right? So there are a lot of tax breaks. There are a lot of incentives for, for instance, you know, I've talked to you about corn before, but there's a lot of incentives for farmers to continue growing corn. There's a lot of ways that these companies I was talking about, like it's pretty much indentured servitude that they were forced to grow corn and if there was more policy to push these people, whether it's financial incentive, whether it's to force them to, or not force them, but incentivize them to grow some of that healthier stuff, more of it in the market reduces the total price of it. And then it becomes more accept- more accessible to everybody. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so it is not, it is cyclical, but it's more that it's just so intertwined that. So basically we need to get these big corporations like out of the way. They're in the way. They don't really care about the consumers and what we're eating. It doesn't matter to them because they're living high on the hog. So and they don't whatever. care about the farmers very much. Yeah, either. they could care less about the farmers. Are just like you said, they're basically indentured servants. Right. Frankie, you're mentioning that that eat, our eating choices aren't enough, but I think they are an important part. So I don't want to I don't want to say that like oh it doesn't even matter what you buy. It does matter for sure because I think that does send a message. It's just don't don't stop there. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm furious right now. I am so 
I feel tricked and I don't like it. I'm so upset. Um, so we got a couple questions down on Twitch. So one of them is this conversation about soil degradation with consumables, with produce and stuff like that. Um, this is something that I'm not as, uh, as versed in, but um, when talking about cotton, when talking about tobacco and talking about weed, cannabis, um, and other crops that are grown in mass, what do you see as best practices? What do you see as current practices that need to be shifted? I think it's, it's really similar. I mean, when you're growing a food crop or when you're growing a fiber crop or when you're growing um, another kind of consumable like tobacco, um, you know, the, the way those plants interact with the soil biology is really not any different than how they interact as a, as a food crop. Um, so I think regenerative practices like reducing how much you're turning over the soil, um, adding more organic material like compost to that soil, um, you know, managing pests without synthetic chemicals, those are all just as applicable to, um, to, fiber, uh, to fiber crops as well. And I know cotton is a really um, water intensive crop usually um, using regenerative practices to build up the soil health will build up how much water that soil can hold. That's going to help you have to add less, um, less water from irrigation. It I might- don't know that much about tobacco and marijuana, but I know marijuana, I think is a very nutrient. It's a very hungry crop. Um, so again, these kind of regenerative practices you want to build up how much nutrients your soil can hold, reduce how much synthetics you're using. And I think it's really very similar. So weed plants have the munchies. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, I'm not an expert, but that's what I've heard. <laughs> I know that a lot of people are using hemp as something, especially to suck uh, metals out of soil and stuff like that. And so does it help to use hemp as part of your uh, crop rotation to... Uh, if not to be harvested just to improve the soil in one of the quadrant quadrants quadrants. I mean, I, I <laughs> might, um, I think if you had very specific concerns about heavy metal contamination in your soil, maybe. Um, but a lot of the times what people like to use in crop rotations is something like, um, like a legume, like soybeans, vetch, alfalfa, that's adding nutrients to the soil. Um, so I, I think what you're describing would be applicable just in a few very specific situations. Okay. And then, so the other question that we had in Twitch, uh, how much does rotating crops actually help? And so I know that rotating crops is one way to go about it, but I also know that a lot of regenerative uh, agriculture people do stack livestock into that process. Um, The one that I've seen the most is in no particular order, uh, cows to chickens, chickens to a specific crop that, and then a specific crop to follow that. And so is that typically the best way that you layer in livestock with it? Or do you see it more effective when just rotating crops by themselves? Hold on, before you answer that, when you say layer in livestock, are you talking about grazing habits of, of different types of livestock or feeding? Okay. Yeah. All right. So the chicken, so the chicken will eat the like, uh, pests and then shit. And then so that will be fertilizer. Um, so they follow the cows because the cows will, or sorry, sorry, the cows, uh, the cows will lay fertilizer, but there will be worms and pests in it. So then the chickens go through that and eat that. 
but then they spread it all around to create fertilizer. So then you put a crop in to follow that. And so then you have another crop and and that part I'm shaky on, but so you'll have those follow each other. And so, so the, they will all benefit off of one another and you just have them all, uh, kind of like a migration every, however the, okay. Correct. Just on your land though. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's something that can be really beneficial. And I think that, some regenerative farmers choose to include animals, some don't um, for ethical or environmental reasons. I think if you do include animals, um, you say in no particular order, but you got the order right, um, <laughs> which is that often there, there might be grazing followed by like a smaller animal that's going to spread that waste around, followed by a crop. Um, and in, you know, if done properly, grazing can kind of jumpstart the revitalization of the soil because it's going to add a lot of microbes. It's going to kind of churn that um, fertilizer or waste into the, into the soil. And um, it can be really beneficial in that way. There's also an idea of regenerative grazing, which is rather than incorporating livestock into a crop, a plant crop system, it's just grazing, but done in a way that's better for the land by, by moving the uh, cattle or whatever it is around more frequently. And that can be really beneficial for the soil too. Um, it kind of, again, jumpstarts that vitality by encouraging root growth, by putting more microbes in. On the other hand, those cows um, are producing a lot of methane. So it's mm. kind of a trade-off in terms of the climate impacts and what the net impact is depends a lot on the context. Steven produces a lot of methane too, so I do. He's, so he would know. He's <laughs> used to that. <laughs> but I'm here to stay. So I anyone have... watching, those are farts. Just yeah, so you know, be, uh, trampling are... the grass down more, Stephen, to offset the kind <laughs> so of. So I have chickens that follow me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is okay? So when people are trying to you're eating healthy for two separate reasons, right? One is for obviously for your personal health. One is for environmental uh, improvements. What should consumers be looking for on labels? What should consumers be looking for on specific food that is either slowing or reversing some of these processes that we're talking about? Yeah. So I would say um, one way to start that's pretty, um, pretty straightforward is when you when you can buy organic I think that's great I I do think we need to keep pushing and get you know further than organic but organic is already um, better than conventional in terms of soil health for sure so buying organic is great um one thing I really recommend also is the idea of a CSA community supported agriculture which um, you may already be familiar with it, but the idea is kind of a, a, like a subscription box, but for vegetables or fruits mm-hmm. or other produce. And this is where you sign up basically for a subscription with a specific farm. And then you can be really familiar with how your food is produced because you know exactly which farm it's coming from, which is really rare these days. And I think really exciting. Um, and in, in normal times, you can even go often to these farms and visit them and see how they're growing their produce. Oh, wow. And that's giving direct economic support to a farmer that not only is, you know, rewarding them in a sense for growing food the way you, you want to see it grown, but is also giving them money to further improve their land. 
rather than having it pass through the hands of all these different businesses and corporations. Um, so I really, really encourage people to do that if they can buy at farmer's markets where you're often getting more local produce. That's also a great option. Um, and then there's also a regenerative organic certification, which is kind of um, like an additional layer on top of organic and that's being piloted. It's coming out. Um, I think soon, hopefully it'll be starting to appear in grocery stores and I'm awesome. looking to be able to uh, buy certified regenerative foods. Oh, that's amazing. That's really excellent to know. I love that. There's also a lot of groups that are working to improve access to that sort of farmer's market CSA type food for people in lower income areas. Um, We're starting a comedy show here in Brooklyn with a CSA that people that can afford it are paying a premium so that people that cannot afford it are able to get access to it for either a much more affordable rate or free. And so anybody that's listening, wherever you are in the country, there I, I've seen a lot of different versions of this where, um, it, you know, we, we don't have to go all the way into what a food desert is, but very often different communities don't have access to this type of food. Um, you know, if they even have access to like vegetables and fresh produce in general, but there are a lot of programs in most metropolitan areas that work to either get farmers markets at discount rate, discounted rates into uh, lower income areas or uh, connect people with CSAs like Mary was talking about. So there are lots of ways that if you're listening to this and you're like, shit, I want to help in some way, shape or form, Mm -hmm. just look at what people are doing locally because there are a lot of people working on this. They just usually don't have the best marketing and which is unfortunate, but that's just usually the case. So if you do your research, you will be able to find either some version of a CSA, some version of a farmer's market, and then also some version of somebody connecting those groups with people that uh, typically would not have access to it. So we also work with a lot of people and organizations and groups who are, in addition to that, bringing um, urban gardens to different areas. Is are those helpful? I mean, rewind, pause. I know they're helpful for that community, but for this issue, is, is that helpful? Are those helpful? I mean, I think they totally can be. Every, I mean, every little bit helps for sure. I think they're helpful for a few reasons. I mean, as you mentioned, they have benefits for that local community, probably improving access to, to freshly grown vegetables. Absolutely, yeah. And, and raising awareness. I mean, I think when people understand how how challenging it is to grow food, they're going to be more supportive of farmers and they're going to be more supportive of, of policies that are going to help farmers, um, which is super important. And I think that, you know, even if it's a small urban farm, managing it regeneratively is going to have some positive impact on the climate and the environment. And who knows, maybe somebody who participates in that program growing up is going to end up having a vast farming empire that's going yes. to suck all the carbon out of the, out of the air. So you never know what kind of impact that. you can have. Well, it's also this thing where everybody used to have gardens, you know, like, like World War II and like around that time, like you look at pictures of, of like metropolitan areas, people had gardens out on the sidewalk, people had gardens out on their balconies, people just had gardens in general. And they also had kids in cages on fire escapes, but whatever, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll take some of the good, we'll leave <laughs> some of the bad. <laughs> but it is a thing that 
while while that one urban farm may only be able to serve 20 people in the community if if 20 different people create those size those size farms right. nobody can do that math but there but it, it is something that has rippling effects right so absolutely so it is um it is very important to be able to like there's a dude in compton and mary maybe you know who i'm talking about uh but he calls himself like the gangster gardener or something like that. But he's like taking all of like, you know, that little sidewalk space between the street. Like he's just big crops throughout all of it. So like, there's like huge swaths of Compton that just have community gardens that like people can just like pick from that. They have. I love that. Yeah. It's dope. It's like, that's so cool. um, And and I really like that anybody can just pick from it. So it's not like some kind of, gatekeeping thing where only some people get it it's it's really a community service which is fantastic 100 and then people other people get into it they're like oh shoot like i want that too or like yeah there's big swaths of land that end up getting taken up throughout the city that are just regenerative uh agriculture and so i mean you see it in philly philly's got a really strong uh urban gardening scene new york does it's just it's so much such a mass of people that it's not enough um but it is a thing that like, yeah, it has, it has very long lasting benefits, assuming it ripples out and people just keep doing it. Well, once uh, nonprofits takes over the world and we just bring awareness of everything to everyone, then yeah, Stephen, it's going to explode. We're, we're getting super close to the end, Mary. What, what are your final thoughts? Like, how can people find you guys? How can they get involved? And, um, you know, if you want people to follow you or, or if you have work you want people to see, how can they see that? Yeah, well, I would I would just recommend, um, first of all, this podcast is part of a Sierra Club kind of series of actions, the Earth Day 10 Days of Action. Um, awesome. So if you want to go to sc.org slash Earth Day, you can see kind of some other events and there'll be some suggestions for how to get involved with Sierra Club in your area. Always a great thing to do. Um, I just... I would really want to encourage people to think about what you can do personally that is the most applicable to you, whether it's buying regenerative food, subscribing to a CSA, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's more beneficial for you or better suited to you to call up your congressperson and ask them, you know, what are, what are you doing to support farmers in my state um, to be better stewards of the land and to better protect their own, the farmer's own interests? Um, you know, whether it's to tell your friends um, about the idea of regenerative farming, maybe start a garden together. You know, there's all kinds of different things that individuals can do. Um, and I think there's really something for everybody. And I also, I know this is a little off topic, but I, I really want to mention sometimes when people talk about regenerative agriculture, they um, get the impression that it's like a recent new idea or like a new movement. Um but it's really, it's really not. It's more like it's being rediscovered. Um, uh-huh. And I, I would just say to pay attention to the fact that indigenous groups around the world, Native Americans have been practicing like sustainable and regenerative agriculture for thousands of years, right. sustainably managing landscapes um, in ways that were really disrupted when um, the colonization of North America happened and of, of a lot of other places around the world. So on the one hand, it's, it's, really unfortunate that those voices have been ignored for so long. 
But on the other hand, it tells us that this kind of approach can work and it can work over the long term. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of knowledge out there um, and it's really not mysterious. We just need to support farmers, become farmers if you want to, um, and, and provide the support and the advocacy that's necessary to get back to this way of doing things that, that puts in more than we're taking out. Absolutely. One last question I, I have. Um, marginalized groups often are impacted far beyond what, you know, kind of the general public are. Does the Sierra Club work specifically to help those disenfranchised groups? Um, I'm not a big expert on the Sierra Club's overall portfolio of programming, but I do think that there is an increasing awareness among environmental groups, including the Sierra Club. And I'm the first to say that environmental groups, including the Sierra Club, have a long way to go on this. But I think there is an increasing effort to really do a lot of active outreach, for example, for programs like um, guided backpacking trips into the wilderness um, to do more outreach to those marginalized communities who don't always see themselves represented in the world of environmental conservation, even though they are doing a lot of work there, Mm -hmm. their voices aren't always magnified as much as they should be. So I, I would say that yes, Sierra club is working on that. I think we're making a lot of progress and I think we need to keep, uh, keep working on that. We have some groups that we work with that we can um, put you in touch with if you want to you know, connect, make that connection for you guys. We'd love to, to do that. Um, Steven, what are your final thoughts? Go read more about this. We didn't even scratch the surface. Um, Not even sort of. Their food and the way that food is produced is going to be one of the most important things moving forward from an environmental standpoint, but it is also one of the most important things from a community health standpoint, a public health standpoint. And to Frankie's point, Marginalized communities are the ones that are hit the hardest. Um, We need to completely revamp our agricultural system to be more inclusive and to be more environmentally conscious. And it's something that we just don't know anything about. Um, You know, I, when I talk to most of my friends about this stuff, it is stuff that they do not know about. Maybe they're getting organic because it, but usually it's because it's trendy. Um, So it is, it is a thing that everybody needs to be a little bit more educated about. You know, it's something that you do every goddamn day. You're eating. So just be educated about what you're eating. Be educated about the ramifications of what you eat are both on your body and on the environment. Can my final thoughts are, first of all, Stephen, um, you don't know when I eat, okay? Uh, so <laughs> I eat like a bird, all right? I want to be very clear about that, all right? <laughs> like a baby bird. I actually have a mother bird that comes to my house, eats, and then barks it into my mouth. Okay, so that's number one. All right. My final thoughts are... Do you ask that bird where that food came from? Why would I do that? It's the mother bird. (laughs) That's true. It knows better than me. (laughs) So my my final thoughts, I'm just going to echo what Mary and Stephen said. I, I mean, I knew this was an issue and I knew that it was a far reaching issue. You know what it is? I think the more I hear about it, the more infuriated I get. It's like, like how we're talking, the answers are so simple, but because of greed and, you know, corporate requirements and all of these other things, we allow that to cloud our judgment. And it's like, where is our, where's our country's moral compass? 
You know what I mean? Don't we want to be better? Don't just as a people, don't we want to be better and doing doing the right things? Like we just came in here, we we're like killing the earth. We're murdering our earth. We're not gonna have air to breathe, food to eat, or people to even commiserate with. Or because we huh? What? Or water to drink. Or water to drink. It's like all week money does yes, you need money to survive and to buy things, but how are you gonna spend that money if you're dead because you're putting chemicals into your body? I'm, I'm being serious. How are you, you, you going to do anything in your life if you don't have clean drinking water, if we don't have air to breathe? It, this is insanity to me. And when I was a kid, when I, literally a kid, like a little kid, uh, probably like, mm, I'll say like seven, eight years old, I created uh, a, um, it was an event planning business, but I didn't know how it worked, how it was going to work or what it was going to be. But that was the first like business I created in my mind, right? I, I wrote a business plan up for it. I wrote like different packages people could buy for different types of events. And the name of that company was going to be Earth Heart because I realized that if you take the word heart and you take the H and you move it to the end, it spells earth, right? And so my brain is, it, when my little kid brain was like, oh, the earth is where our heart is. You know, that's the most important thing for us. You know what I mean? And if a, if a seven, eight-year-old little kid can grasp that concept, why are we adults such idiots? I don't understand. It's like, yeah, we're going to be occupying the space for what, 80 to 100 years, you know, per person, you know, each person we live, whatever our life expectancy is. I think yours is like next month, Stephen, you're going to die, but whatever. (laughs) Um, But my point is just that we're adults. We're thinking, breathing adults, and we make choices based on things that don't matter, like money. I'd rather see my bottom line increase than watch my health and and the people around me be safe and secure. It's disgusting. So yeah, get involved. Seek out the information. If you can't find it on Sierra Club, do a Google search. Ask a friend. Post on Facebook. Ask for input. There are ways to find information and, and figure out how you can help and how you get involved. Go change some legislation. Get a team of people together. Go plant some shit, man. Plant some shit. And that's my final thought. Plant some shit. Frankie French, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, this yo. is just infuriating mary thank you for your service thank you mary thank you. We I'm, I'm, you so much and i'm so glad to so share the message yeah yeah so much to the sierra club for all the work that y'all do um happy earth day last week uh, everybody go out do some stuff support the sierra club uh, my name is stephen campbell my name is also stephen campbell plant some shit Ooh, and and like and share the podcast share it with everybody now you've listened to it so we we're talking to you twice uh thank you mary chambers with sierra club thank you comedy hub and jared thank you all of our viewers we love you guys someone said you guys are great um who was it i'm gonna i'm gonna get this right it was i think it was happy 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 miss miss gif mischief oh (laughs) Uh, sorry hi (laughs) happy mischief (laughs) We think you guys are great, too. So thank you so much. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us everywhere. Love you guys. Peace.